Welcome to the Organic Wine Podcast. Hi, this is Adam Huss coming to you from Los Angeles. Thanks so much for listening. Wendy and I recently took a trip to a vineyard in the town of Hemet, California. And the phone call that you're about to hear is the result of that adventure. What we discovered on this trip was a biodynamic oasis with as much history and lore as you could hope to find anywhere. The historic property had been known for years as the Haunted Hilltop Manor and was one of the most famously, supposedly haunted mansions in Southern California. But when we stepped out of the car after the two-hour drive from Los Angeles, what we found was anything but scary. A pair of hawks cried out overhead, playing in the breeze. The snow-capped San Jacinto Mountains loomed large to the east, and a terraced landscape of organically and biodynamically farmed vines followed the contours of the earth away to the west. And then we met Bill Schinkel. Bill might be on the short list of candidates for the most interesting man in the world. He's also a born storyteller, and he has some entertaining stories to tell. When he led us into his house, it was like stepping back in time. And I don't want to spoil the conversation, so I won't say any more. But I think that you too will soon want to visit Bill and try his wines if you live anywhere nearby. This interview is a recorded phone conversation, and unfortunately, my end of the call didn't sound that great. Couldn't do much about it. The good news is that you can tell I enjoyed talking with Bill, and he does sound great. So grab a glass and let me introduce you to Bill Schinkel of Tranquil Heart Vineyards and Winery. Enjoy. This call is now being recorded. Beautiful. Bill, thanks for uh, joining in the call. No problem. Uh, I, you know, it's funny how I I found out about you. Just, I, I think it was, I'm looking for biodynamic vineyards in Southern California, basically, and some trail led me to Tranquil Heart. Uh, and I called you, I think, to try to find out about getting some grapes. And you were like, oh, you should just come out and visit. And that led to a whole adventure. <laughs> and I saw after the fact why you said come out and visit. And um, would would you introduce yourself and and Tranquil Heart, and then I'll I'll, I'll ask some more questions, some more leading questions. Uh, sure, no no problem. Um, yeah, I mean that that's the truth of it. Uh, you know, you can explain it all you want, but until you come out and really see it, feel it, walk it, you have words just don't describe everything. So, um, and that's why I always try to invite everybody out to come come see the place. Uh, <laughs> So I and I appreciate you do coming. So um, my name is Bill Schinkel. I am the founder and owner of Tranquil Heart Vineyards and Winery. I started it in just 2013. Um, never really had dreamed about doing a vineyard. Never <laughs> had thought about making wine before. I know some people have, you know, thought about it their whole lives. Mine was not that at all. The only reason I kind of did it was I built uh, a winery for a couple of clients in Las Vegas, um, both casino owners, one at their casino and one at their home or golf course. And so I, I had experience doing that, and when I was 
bought my property, which was a, just a little 15-acre place, but it had a 110-year-old home on or at the time it had a 100-year-old home on it. Now we're <laughs> 110 years old. That was completely dilapidated and been abandoned for years and had eight fires in it and no electricity, no plumbing, no windows, no doors, no no nothing, but basically a shell. But it was built like Saddam Hussein's bunker. It had three-foot-thick walls of concrete and rebar in it. And I bought it sight unseen. Um, I'd seen it when I was 15 years old. When I first moved to town, it was one of the first buildings I've seen since Pomona. I mean, you know the area. I'm not sure where. Well, well, where are yeah, why don't you locate us? Where are we talking about? Where is that? Well, I'm in Hemet, California, which Hemet. is all right. It's it's a different climate than most places. It's a Mediterranean climate. It's a we get hotter in the summer. We get a little colder in the winter. Luckily, we get a breeze every night. We do, you know, we're hot, but we cool down every evening. So that right. makes it perfect for our grapes. Yeah, big diurnal shift. Very, very much so. So, you know, I know you came from L.A. when you came out to my place, but, you know, if you can imagine going from Pomona to Hemet in 1975, (laughs) all I saw was cows. I didn't see (laughs) any homes. I saw Riverside Raceway, racetrack, which was Sunny Mead back then. Now it's called Moreno Valley. And then went down these long roads and kind of came into a little town called San Jacinto, so I saw life after two hours, <laughs> other than four legs, you know, and uh, we went out to where the ranch was, where my parents were building our greenhouses, and, and my background, you know, has been horticulture my whole life, so I was born into the horticultural family, and uh, after we went and saw this 100-acre ranch in the middle of a grapefruit orchard where we were going to put our nursery. They came driving down through the citrus groves, and the uh, realtors told me, you know, son, whatever you do, don't pick any of that fruit. And I'm like, well, why not? He goes, because the ranchers out here, they'll take you out back, string you up, and hang you. And I'm like, where am I moving to? You know? <laughs> I hadn't seen a house for two hours. I hadn't seen a person. Now I'm going to get hung. <laughs> you know, so they're taking me to show me where I'm going to go to Welcome school. <laughs> yeah, and we turn this corner and I see this big, huge house up on a hill. And I went, "What's that up there?" And the realtor said, "Oh, you don't want to go up there. That's a haunted house or the insane asylum." <laughs> And I said, really? I said, it looks like it should have a motor around it or something. And uh, and then the next thing, uh, next comment out of my mouth was, when I grow up, I'm going to buy that place. Wow. And I, and I was 15 years old. And, uh, wow. and then about 2000, I started to try to buy it. And, it, it, and until 2009, when the economy crashed, um, I got a phone call from the current owner, which there's only been three since 1910. And wow. they said, are you still interested? And I was like, now? And, uh, <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I said, well, what do you want for it? And he gave me a price, and I kept him on the phone, it was on the cell phone, and I drove to his office. I walked in, and I threw my checkbook down and said, I'll take it. 
and I wow. never even I never even been in it. So wow. Um, so the story of what why grapes was you know after I bought it I really had all the intentions of thinking I was going to expand my horticultural nursery, and then the economy crashed, and then there was no reason to try to do anything expansion with the nursery business, and. Uh, I was standing up there with my hands crossed over looking at it going, what am I going to do with all of these weeds? I've got to do something. And I just decided, you know, I've done citrus and I've done stone fruit and I've done, you know, different different projects. And I said, but I think because of the hills and the way it's designed, I said, I think grapes will look pretty cool here. Yeah, and and that's how it started, and, and, and wow. I knew and I knew nothing, nothing of grapes, nothing of wine. I never drank wine in my life. I was an iced tea drinker, and uh, <laughs> and, and that's the beginning of the story. So uh, that's great. Well, yeah, I mean, it it has a beautiful sort of terraced look to the to the hills. I mean, it, it feels like you're in a different world. I mean, it feels like a, a Italian sort of villa vibe to it when you're there out looking over it um how so how did you without that kind of background i mean obviously and we'll i should ask you about that but before going back too far i I know you have this long horticultural history but why why biodynamics like why organic biodynamics when you decided to do the vineyards uh, the short story? <laughs> <laughs> you know. <laughs> I'm trying to think of how to say this correctly. Um, I don't say anything short. So, uh, you know, you're right. With the, with the nursery business, everything is based off of traditional farming. Um, right. You know, and everything's designed that way. Um, I, but I did start growing my vegetables organically just by chance. Um, yeah. and, and that was strictly for marketing, and I thought was a smart move to do. It wasn't that I was a health-conscious nut or anything. Um, okay. And then um, I met a young lady, and her name was Liz, and she was or an I'll just call I used to call her or, or an organic baby. That she preached organics all the time, and she used to tell me. You know, you need to do this organically and you need to do this. And I'd always fight with her going, you know, organics have to change for a chemical for the plant to take it up. And, you know, (laughs) we went back and forth. Right. But I started studying it and and I started seeing how the difference, just let's just take a potato or a sweet potato or something like that. You put an organic one in the ground versus a non-organic one and the organic one grows five times faster, tastes better, and I'm like, well, I, I couldn't figure out why. And, and then when I started doing research, um, I just found out all the things that are put on traditional farming, which is, I, I don't know where this is going out to, so I don't want to piss anybody off, but, but, <laughs> but, but, you know, most of the farmers are taught by the fertilizer companies and yeah. the big chemical companies to do this, that, that. Here's your rates. Here's what you do. You know, the, you know, you need to put on fungicides because your plants are dying because you guys put on growth retardants and and you're using Roundup and everything 
is a vicious cycle, and it's all – they're fighting Mother Nature. Yeah. Conventional farming, you know, has adopted an adversarial relationship with nature, fighting against her instead of working with her. Right. And and the, and the natural system only works when everything is in balance. Yeah. And when it's out of balance, it falters. It's that simple. And so there's a lot of research, and, and um, you know, I'm going to go way back. When I was a kid in school, I was a terrible learner because we learned out of a book. I read it. Thank yeah. God for Internet and videos and stuff. So anything I watch or hear – I retain. If I read it, I can read it ten times, and I just don't get it, and that's why I was not a good student as a youngster. But I started watching and reading and and listening, and and the more I did, the more I knew I was on the right track. So then, I took it to a different level. Since since we were starting with a piece of property that was almost virgin soil, it did have a citrus orchard planted on it in 1910 and ripped out in 1961. So after that, it sat empty for 50 years, and before that, it sat for 10 million years. Right. But the lucky part of it was is they didn't use any bad stuff on the land, and it's never even seen Roundup. When I bought it in 2009, yes, there was weeds everywhere. Everything was flourishing with weeds. But I ripped it with a D9 bulldozer six ways after I dissed it, and little by little we started changing it, and and it's never seen Roundup on its property. Unfortunately, we hand hand do the weeds still to this day. Uh, Kubota tractor and a shovel still are number two, you know, one to two tools. So um, so when I started with Scratch, we didn't have any bad things to correct. Right. That was the good part. That is good. So, and you, you I mean, as you've learned more, what, it sounds like you, you're now starting to become a little bit uh, evangelical about biodynamics and organics. I mean, to the extent that last time we talked, it sounded like you were working on a pretty big project. You know, I mean, you don't have to talk about it, but um, and you were very excited to mention that it was going to be fully biodynamic and organic. Oh, absolutely. And um, and yeah, you, it, it's, it's a huge project compared to what I've done. And um, um, it'll, it'll be 600 acres. Um, and one of the things that we, we went up in a helicopter the other day to look at it and, and – uh, one of the things that I mentioned to the owner, who's footing the bill, which is nice, not right. to do it, it out of my pocket, you know. But, uh, you know, I, I put it to him very straight. And it's my job is to tell him the truth. And I'm like, okay, you know, how do you want this? It's, you know, it's your money. I'm spending your money. I'm just going to tell you the best way to do it. And down the road, it actually ends up saving you money. So some of the things I'll tell you, you'll go, what, you know, (laughs) why are we doing that? But, you know, for instance, the first, um, and I'm not real technical on this stuff, verbiage, but, you know, mycorrhizae, endo and ecto. Yeah. Are you you familiar with them? 
Yes, absolutely. And I think okay. some of our listeners would be too, absolutely. Okay, because I, I, like I said, I don't know who this is going to, but, um, <laughs> you know, it's on the surface of the soil. It's like they're fighting each other. It's a freeway for nutrients. Now right. we're, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna take this land and we're gonna rip it. But I told them, and we've got big canyons to fill in in certain areas and things like that. We, you just have to, some of the areas that we're doing it. But I'm like, I want to take off the top eight inches of everything first and put it in a giant pile. And then you do all your grading. And then we go back and put the eight inches back on. Hmm. Now, <laughs> why? Well, because all of that organisms is there. Now, we're disturbing right. it, granted, and we're going to yeah. put mycorrhizae back in. But bottom line right. is, for those big tractors, it doesn't mean much to them. They're going to move stuff anyways. So right, that's, right. that was my suggestion. That's step one. You know, well, yeah. That's not step one. But, the, you know, the first thing I did was like right. a wet weather station up there so that we can get a reading on all kinds of information before we start it, even if it takes two to three years. Right. But, uh, um so I lost where I was going with this, but uh, <laughs> no, that's all right. Well, let's jump back to um, you, you've had, you know, despite. Well, let's talk about you. You were a race car driver, in oh. addition to being in horticulture. <laughs> uh, you were a professional race car driver, even though you you had a full time other career in horticulture, right? I mean, what, give give maybe just some of the highlights from your resume would be kind of fun. Oh well, race car. color. There's some color there. Yeah, I know, but it's it's just uh, it's uh, it's hard work. It's exhausting. It's unrewarding. You lose money. Um, but the thrill and the rush of uh, high speed is like nothing else you'll experience in your life. So, I could I could say some of the <laughs> the things that I say privately, but you know, nothing compares to it. So yeah. take anything that you can, can you know, say gambling, um, what are all the bad vices? Uh, <laughs> sure, I, we all know them. You we know, don't have to list them. <laughs> yeah, so when, when, you know, but nothing compares to that. And, and uh, I can remember when a guy told me, he goes, you know, even your relationship one day, you know, your relationship, the girl's going to say, you know, it's either me or the racing. And you're gonna. He said, "You better have a good relationship with your your honey, so that she's supportive and goes with you and is part of it. Because if she's not, one day she's gonna say it's either me or the racing, and you're gonna go, bye, honey. <laughs> <laughs> you know. And uh, eh, he was right. So yeah. But uh, yeah, it's it's uh, we, we did road uh, we did road racing, which was IMSA, and that okay. was pretty much all over the country. Um, California, Laguna Seca, Sears Point, uh, some of these places people have heard of, Watkins Glen, 24 Hours of Daytona, Miami Grand Prix, you know, you just go on and on, Lime Rock, Connecticut, and, and it's, you know, that's something you can never, those are memories, they were expensive memories, but they were, they're my memories, and they're, they were great, so, um, and, and, and I, 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 I work Monday through Thursday, uh-huh. In the season, and then on Friday morning, I'd fly out to whatever state you're going to do PR, practice, qualify on Saturdays, race on Sundays, leave the track, 
get on the plane, be back to work Monday morning. And what was work at that time? Your Monday through Thursday work? That that was nursery. That was uh, okay. The the Shinkle and Sons greenhouse or the color connection, and I grew roses and and flowers and vegetables and herbs for for Home Depots and Lowell's, and then I also did the uh, hotels in Vegas and the golf courses in Palm Springs and things like that. So um, it was. Uh, it was a lot of work, and, and I look back at it now and go, how the heck did I do that? <laughs> but that's youth, man. Well, and I mean, part of the experience of being at this house is just the assortment of your house now, uh, is the, like the assortment of artifacts and things that are going on there. You've got, um, I mean... First of all, you've restored it in a really lovely way. Like I, I walked in and I thought it was all original, which I guess it is. It's just you've had to restore all the original door frames. There's arch doors, big beautiful things. It's 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 built in the old way that you know Pueblo, like the 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 way that California the California mission California the mission yeah the mission style right where yeah. it was like where there's a courtyard in the middle and the house sort of surrounds an interior courtyard, um, which is, I just think, beautiful. And more houses should be built that way now um, because you get that indoor-outdoor experience of California, which you can have most of the year anyway, um, with the privacy and then uh, just, yeah, anyway. It was lovely, but now, but you have every house, every, like, room seems to have its own little personality and it's on this crest of the hill so there's views sort of out you know you have the interior space and then when you go into the the surrounding rooms there's views out over on one side the vineyard the other side the San Jacinto Mountains um and then you've got a carriage house uh, as well which you're you're converting to the tasting room eventually right that I mean, you want to talk about? Yeah. <laughs> um, I guess I guess I don't want to oversell it, but it, there's some interesting things going on there. Yeah, yeah uh, I, you know, I have something new that's happened today. I don't know if I spoke to you about it, but you remember when you saw those big white doors had 36 yeah. windows in it? Yes, yeah, yeah. Did yeah, I yeah. tell you what my plan was for those? Yeah, yeah. You you were gonna get you got these labels, right? Or they were like. Right? They were yeah. Like, well, there was okay. there was a museum in Italy that's a wine museum, and it's just really special. And and, and I'm, I'm looking up the email. They sent it to me today, and I can't pronounce it. Teresa from Museum del Vino Torino. <laughs> okay. With my Italian, but uh and I've been talking to him for a long time, and due to COVID, man, I, I lost track of him, and, and I thought, matter of fact, you're, you're at home right now, aren't you? Yeah. In front of the email? Yeah, it can be. Uh, I'm going to send it to you so you can see it. It's really cool. Okay. So they, they finally responded, and, and I lost him for about six months, um, all because of COVID. And the lady uh, I was sending this message to forever it wasn't answering, and I thought, oh, and then somebody, I contacted a bunch of other people, and they're like, oh, yeah, they're closed because of COVID, and they took a job with a, with a, uh, you know, a restaurant or something. And, and it turns out that the lady I was talking to was the mother who's 80 or 90 years old, and she was just staying away to protect her health. And and they responded today, and they sent me all those labels, so... Oh, wow. Yeah, so I just sent you pictures of them. And, uh, oh, cool. 
Wait a second. Did I send it the right? Yeah. Yeah. To Central Central's Central's wine. Centralis. Yeah. Centralis. Yeah. Centralis. Okay. Yeah. 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 So, um, so you'll get a picture of them. So I got all these labels from them, and I already contacted Santa Monica Plastic Place, which is plexiglass, and we're going to etch them right onto the plexiglass and put them all inside the, inside those windows. Thirty-six different ones. It's just the you know just the trying to promote them and their history and the work that they've done for the wine industry. That's all. Oh, yeah, Museo del Vino Torgiano, I think. Um, you can say it better than I can. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, since we're talking about Italy, you know, you're growing Italian grapes. Do you want to – I think it's one of the really interesting things is why you chose the grapes there. Can you talk about that? Just sure. Why you, yeah. Well, you know, since I didn't know anything about grapes um, – I didn't know anything about wine. I never drank wine before. I had a couple times. I never liked it. I'm an iced tea drinker. Um, <laughs> you get free refills, you know. Yeah. And uh, so, I, I like I said, I planted a couple of uh, vineyards for the Fertitas and the Winds up in Vegas, and and they picked the varieties. Well, I, I helped them because of their soil type, and I and I asked the people I was buying the vines from advice, but they still wanted what they wanted. When I started it, I had a list of criteria of things that I wanted from a horticultural standpoint, and I didn't care what was popular. I didn't drink wine. I didn't really care. It doesn't do me any good to have a Chardonnay and, and a Merlot if it doesn't grow well in my conditions. So, so what were those – yeah, what were those horticultural uh, – Parameters that you were using. Well, um, you know. well first off, it ha it had to deal with my temperatures, my highs and lows. I mean, okay. I can get to be two two summers in a row. We've hit 116 out here for seven days. Wow. Um, our lows rarely get below 25. 20. You yeah. know, that's that's a weird year. You know, 28, 29. Uh, so, but it can freeze. Yeah, you oh, yeah, some, absolutely. Yeah. But, but crap, grapes are everywhere in the country, all, all 50 states. So they can, you know, yeah. they, can be, they can be under frost and minus below zero, and they still come out of it. But heat is a big issue. So there was yeah. that. Then there was my soil type that I had. Um, yeah. And then I wanted to find varieties that didn't take a lot of water, because water is only going to get more expensive. Right. Um, varieties that didn't get disease. Didn't get mildew, yeah. weren't prone to insects, um, and then of course <laughs> I know this is kind of stupid, but it, the grapes had to look pretty <laughs> because <laughs> because my vineyard isn't just producing wine. My vineyard is a destination facility, so right. if it's ugly foliage, uh, that was out. If the grape itself wasn't pretty, that was out. So, um, <laughs> you know, I, I went down to Cabo on vacation, and I took a book from UC Davis, and oh, I should try to look it up to see if I could tell the name, but it, it, it was like almost 500 pages. It was a big, huge book, and it had nothing but grapes in it. I just had no idea there was that many grapes, and I had this list with me that I had my criteria on, and on the book, one page was a picture of the grape, which is on visual, and the other page was the description. 
So I look at the first page of the Great Miss Purdy. I go onto the to the right hand page, and and if it said you know needs a lot of water, I took a black marker, a sharpie, put a line through it, went to the next page, and then I just did the next one and the next one and the next one. You know, when I was done, out of five hundred pages, I only had nine varieties. Well, that was it. And then I looked at it and I went, ah, nine's too much for 15 acres. I wanted to do two and a half acres of each variety. I did equal portions, not knowing a clue what I was still doing. It was just, (laughs) okay, you know. And I did six by nine spacing. And and, um, I I did the nine feet so that as the growth got tall enough, I used a VSP system. Uh-huh. And 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 I'm very vigorous. Even though I got I did a rootstock 3309C, which is a moderate rootstock, everything right. still grows like crazy. Even though I haven't put nitrogen on this place in seven years, eight years now, right. and, and the the vines still go five feet above the top wire of the VSP. Wow! And that shape before I cut them, I, and I cut them at verasion basically, but. Um, that shades the fruit load on the next aisle because the sun in the summertime, the hottest time, basically is is coming in from the south, and and that height just about shades the fruit line from the next row over. Mm, nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's real, real handy. And then we try <laughs> to cut it. We try to cut it so that you know it's manageable and it's not hitting us in the eyes when we're going by in a tractor or. You know, anything like that, and still looks makes the place look pretty and clean, but it still tries to shade that next row. So, um, where do so, I go? I got off subject well, again. I'm good at that. Well, no, I think everybody would love to know, since you did all that homework for us with those nine varieties, were, or at least which the ones you well, selected were. So, yeah, 15 acres, I, I went two and a half acres of each, so I just did six varieties, and dummy I, I i didn't save the other three varieties so i'd have to redo it all for for my area but you know for my area it doesn't matter for where you're at you have your you know whoever's going to pick the right own. they have all right. kinds of their own scenarios that they need to do but i just went with three reds and three whites i don't know that i was even trying to do that it's just that's the way it ended up and then when i planted them i was I have different types of soil on my property. Yeah, like a Yonico is one, and it's better west-facing, and it's on a hillside that's almost decomposed granite. Uh, my Toroldigo, um is down halfway on a rolling hill to a flatland, and then my Barbera is completely flat and more of a sandy kind of rocky area. Um that's just the way, you know, I was following the instructions of the best place to put them. And it turned out all my reds were on the west and all my whites were on the east. And I didn't (laughs) even know that until the first or second year when they start going. And and then I started learning more about them. uh, And that turns out to be ideal as well. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's perfect. And then, um, and I made a few mistakes. Everything's east to west mostly, but I did... I did follow the pattern of the property so that when people drove in, it looked pretty no matter which way they went. And, and, I, and I've noticed some, you know, issues where they're not perfectly east and west. 
and we have some things that ripen quicker or we lose some from the sun. But, you know, those grapes taste different than the grapes down below, and I think when you put them all together, it, they just turn out fantastic. Right, right. So, yeah. So. You followed, the, yeah, the contours of the land, too, which Most sort of, of makes sense yeah. in a lot. Yeah, in a, in a lot of ways, and yeah. it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So your whites are um, Fiano, I know. Uh, uh, yep, Fiano's on the hill. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, you drank some of that, huh? Yeah, that was good. That was great. <laughs> two years, then, I think. Two different, two very different. Oh vintages. yeah, yeah, that's right. Two two years, and then um, um, Viognier, uh-huh. and then the last one is Muscat Canale, which really makes mm. Moscato. And right. the, uh, there's Muscat Blanc, and then there's Muscat Canale, and I believe they're really the same grape. Muscat Blanc is Europe. Muscat Canale is America, and it's technically the same grape, from what I understand. So that's the six that I planted. Um, there's one rogue Cabernet Sauvignon on the end of a end of a post <laughs> that I did, I did not order, and and it's in the white section. And how it ended at the end of a row is just a shock because everything was just a stick when we planted it, and it goes well in him it too. Uh, I haven't had any problems with it whatsoever. I, all I ever end up making with that is jelly. Because <laughs> there's only there's, o- there's only one plant, and so we just make jelly out of that one, and it's pretty tasty. <laughs> so. You could probably blend that in with something. The Alianico would probably no, but there's it, well, we a we never remember it, and uh, uh, and it ripens differently. Yeah, and then we, you know, we pick our first to pick is Muscat. Our second is Viognier, usually three days later. Then we go and pick some of the Barbera because we make a rosé. That's our third pick, we, and we we pick it early at 21 bricks instead of 24 and a half. Then we go back to Fiano, and then that Cabernet, that one plant, gets ripe in between all the other reds, and, and then we're in a different part of the thing, and when we're so tired picking, we always forget that plant. So finally, <laughs> it's just like, pick it, put it in, let's make some jelly. <laughs> that's great and you know, right, well, you know I have the nursery so I have all the vegetables and we grow just tons of different types of peppers so we have like 25 different peppers and we and then we pick those we, we have a bunch of fruit we pick those and we, then we make a hot peppered um, red and a hot peppered white jelly oh that sounds great oh it's that's incredible a- you put it with some goat cheese and crackers, and you're just in heaven. Ooh. Oh, yeah. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> That's lovely. And, and the weird thing is you can use the hottest peppers you want and the, the sugar of the jelly. And then, of course, we use Pomona pectin, which isn't um, – you don't add any sugar. It's a calcium as, as your catalyst. There's so much sugar in these grapes anyways. So, right. Uh, you just I, – I don't add any sugar, so it's just the juice and the hot peppers. And as hot as they can be, like a ghost pepper or habanero and all those, it's right. not that bad, but it's pretty tasty. So, And I don't put one <laughs> pepper in. I'll put in like ten different kinds and chop them up, and it's just flavorful. Good That's God. Right. Oh, it's great. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, nice. Well, uh, is there any – I mean, as far as I know, I don't know anybody else that's growing – are there any other vineyards near you? I mean, you're not too far from, you know, like Temecula, but it's still like 
I don't know, an hour south of you, right? Uh, by the way, the crow flies, it's not that far, but, you know, the roads. It, right. right. It, 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 it's, a, it's a half hour to 45 minutes away, and it's a whole different zone. Yeah. Uh, they, they're, they're much cooler than we are. Um, they're much milder. Uh, my timing, I'm always a week or two earlier, which is great when I go to do things because nobody over there started to even produce wine. And uh, we're, we're just we're just we're just quicker than they are because the temperatures and the sun and the total amount of hours of sunlight. And you do a, I mean, so there. I, I guess my question was then: there's nobody really around you, right? For at least a oh, while. Oh no, I'm the only nut out here in the area. Uh, <laughs> you know when I. I <laughs> when I started this, everybody said to me, the first thing out of their mouth, oh, you'll never grow grapes in Hemet. <laughs> and, then, and then when I pulled it off and all the plants, I planted 6,600 plants, and I only lost three. And I planted in June. It was nuts. <laughs> oh. uh, I don't know if I told you that story, but, you know, they I, I ordered these things, and this goes back to that. Lady Liz that I told you about, the yeah, yeah, organic baby. Um, uh-huh. So I ordered these plants. What was it? 2012 or 11, and they had to, you know, make the grafts, make the rootstock, and graft them, and everything. And all of a sudden, they finally called me about March or April and said, "You know, your stuff's ready." And I didn't have a thing in my place yet. I didn't have. <laughs> I hadn't even designed it really yet, and I was waiting for. I, I tried to get bids for all these people to put in the winery, and and uh, I got prices of one hundred eighty-seven thousand bucks. That's what. Wow. I got two bids. They must have been friends because they were both within like five grand of each other. They must have got you know together. And right. Okay. And I thought, oh man, I can't do that. And then uh, J and M Supply, nice company. Uh, up in Bakersfield, he says, "Oh, I got some guys that can do that." And he gave me a price, and he says, "It'll be, you know, it'll be well, well worth it." And I said, "Okay." And he goes, and then finally I call him, and he's like, "Oh, I can't, man. The the uh, there's some act. I forget what the name of it is, but the hillsides they can finally put fences up for cattle and stuff after the rainy season." He goes, "All my guys are busy. I can't do it." So, but there's a guy down in Temecula. He'll honor my prices. And I said, "Okay." So I call him up and. He gives me a bid for about one hundred eighty thousand. <laughs> okay, back to that. Which was which was you know like about what the guy told me, except for add a zero, you know. Right, right, and right. I was just like, oh, what am I going to do? So I was going to take all these these grapevines because they were calling me, going, hey, you know, they're in our freezers. We want to shut off our freezers. You, you know, you ordered these things two years ago. You got to take them. And I'm like, oh, let's um, let's put them all in five gallon pots. Just like I do a rose. And then they'll be bigger, and, and we can plant them next year. Well, thank God I, I went up to UC Davis for a, a seminar, and I met a man up there, Bob Herrick, which is Herrick, Herrick, Herrick Grapevines now. And he owned a nursery just like I did. For We both supplied Home Depot, and we started talking. I didn't know him from, from you know, just met him out of the blue. And uh, 
sat down and we talked and pretty soon he knew my dad and he knew the same people in the industry and and he goes bill whatever you do don't do what you're talking about he goes the worst thing you could ever do <laughs> he goes if you can't do this this year eat the vines do them next year don't put them in a container so i come back and i tell this to the liz and she's like well you got a whole crew here at the nursery. Just we'll do it ourselves. And I'm like, I don't know how. You know, I've never. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess I have done them, but usually it's somebody else's labor. You know, <laughs> so yeah. So we got out there and we ripped the property with the D D10 bulldozer and we re-leveled it and then we put out plastic forks to design the place. A lot of <laughs> arguments and. uh and then I had a girl that drilled 6,600 holes, 6, holes with this really cool auger. And uh, we put a nine-inch hole, three foot deep, and then backfilled it with native soil and organic, native and organic soil and organic fertilizer. And had a couple guys packing it. And we planted the vines and laid the drip line on the ground next to the plants with two emitters on each plant and spaghetti hose into the white box to protect it. And we didn't have any post up. We didn't have any wires up. And that was, you know, the first year. And then um, after we did all that thing, got it all planted, we planted basically one variety every day. And we got everything planted in a week. Wow. And uh, we call her the Gestapo man. She was she was the ramrod. She <laughs> she made it happen. I'm I'm the nice guy. She was the meanie, and uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, and uh, we were exhausted. But we did it in June, and we only lost like a half a dozen plants out of six thousand six hundred. Shocking. Wow. And, yeah. Uh, but good ear. We gave it good water. You know, my water system's all gravity-fed and uh, real easy. I turn on one valve, and the whole place gets watered at once with gravity, no pumps. And uh, so it had good water, and everything took, even though it was kind of summertime. Well, but we got lucky. And um, um, and then little by little, put the poles in and the wires in. And I figured after the first year with all that growth, I cut everything back down to the ground anyways. So I didn't care because I knew I was going to prune it back because your key to your to any plant is your root system. Right. And, and so we used the first year just to make the root system good. And then the very first year we got the post in and one or two wires, and then we trained them. And then by the third year we started getting fruit. So that was that's how we did it. Not wow. like anybody else. So So I guess what I'm trying to say is, is if you don't don't feel bad, you don't have to do it exactly the right way that everybody says it's supposed to be done. We did it backwards. <laughs> that's great. Um I love that story. <laughs> well, so uh you have an interesting wine club too. You want to talk about that and what 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 your idea is with that? And this the space now you run out as well. The the house and the the grounds you do people can yeah, do it's weddings. An, it's an event center, and uh-huh. and, and it's a, a vineyard both. Um, you know everything that's built is with that in mind. Um, 
And it's the same thing you do with the nurseries. You, you don't spend money unless it's going to help your customer. And, right. you know, yeah, you can say it's to bring in more money, but it's only brings in more money if you're helping your customer. Um, so, um, yeah, I, I have the tasting room, and then I built, you know, the three lakes below it. And then that's going to be for the weddings. And, um, uh, of course, you got the main house, and you've got that area there. So what was your question again? I'm I'm kind of losing track. <laughs> no, well, uh, the wine club. Your wine club oh, is yeah. unique, I think, right? How do yeah. you do your wine club? If I well, wanted to, like, what's the deal with that? Oh my God, you're gonna make me tell stories. <laughs> uh, I I chose the way I did it by word of mouth advertising, and uh, because I, I, I'm a poor man in a rich man's game, there's no doubt about it. I, one day maybe that'll change, but. Uh, there's nothing better than word of mouth advertising and I'm in a little town where it has no vineyards I'm not freeway close anybody's got to travel to get to me so my whole theory was quality from beginning to end because nobody's going to come out of their way in this far for mediocre wine other places can get away with that because they're freeway close there's lots of them together People come, they leave their, you know, they come, enjoy themselves, they leave their money, they go home. Easy in, easy out. Hammett's not that way. Well, we're, we're kind of off the beaten track. So, and then the other thing was, is my town doesn't have anything like this, and everybody from my town has to go out of town. So I formed a little thing called the Founders Club. And that's really was promoted just the locals in a sense. So that my community could have some place to go, um, and with that they they get special perks. And and instead of me spending money to advertise, I, I do word of mouth advertising, and I give them good benefits. And then they're supposed to bring guests and and those that they think would be you know good to join, and and it just, it just snowballs. Um, so they get their wines and they get some parties. It's all included, and the parties are dinner appetizers, dessert, a band, and an open bar. And and we do four parties per year like that, and the entertainment is what you've seen downstairs, what we have downstairs. We have great yeah. artists and uh because we of also have a uh, we also have an, a, a guitar builder on the on site. Yeah. <laughs> as he, well. And he knows everybody and and uh, I could start throwing out names, but I'm, I'm not great with music. But I, he I, today he had somebody there from that was a Motown player that played all the Motown stuff. He just said, "Hey, I'm in him, and I want to come by and see you." And he just had a bunch of his guitars, Bigsby guitars that he built for Bigsby um, on an auction at Julian's auction yesterday, I think it was, and wow. sold four of his guitars there. They're the same guitars that are in the. Museum of Art and back in New York, but uh, he's, let me get a glass of water here. I'm talking more than I normally do. <laughs> uh, let's lose my voice. Um, uh, he he just knows everybody and their brother as far as that. So we, we always try to have somebody different and some good music and entertainment. And, and it's just a party. And, of course, we're all chomping at the bit to get back into it because of COVID. Ooh, that's what we yeah. said. Cheers, red tear. We're finally, you know, in two weeks we're supposed to be an orange tear, and we're gonna. Have, <laughs> we've already scheduled our party for the end of April. 
Excellent. Excellent. Uh, that, that, I think we'll... that, that's our Founders Club. And then if you go to Tranquil Heart Vineyards and Winery, we have a just a traditional wine club. And then you can buy just bottles if you don't want to do the wine club. So we really have three ways to do it. And, and then I'm just starting to finally go direct to consumer and, and promote that for sales and marketing. Well, I know you – it's a, it's still a work in progress, everything. So can you talk about some of your plans and what you, yeah, just what you want to do, where, what direction you're heading, what, what sort of vision you have for everything there? Um, well, it's, it's really the same vision. I just haven't finished it all. It's all, about, right, right. it's all about the Benjamins, I guess. Um, <laughs> The the place is designed because I'm in the in the in the flower business and the nursery business and the clients that I've had. I see all these things and I I want to I want to make the place spectacular. Um, yeah. But it all takes cubic dollars, which I'm um, I'm trying to get all that through you know these hard times. Um, but yeah. um, you know lakes and landscaping and. You know, I'd love to finish a wine wine cave that I would look like a, a James Bond movie, where you know it's got a wa- it's combination of James Bond and Disneyland, but it'd go into my wine cave that you know hit a button and the waterfall stops, and you can basically walk in and then you know put the button back on. There's a waterfall going over it. You wouldn't even know there's a cave there. And, and you go into there, and then of course a little tunnel that goes into the basement. <laughs> you know, so I mean, I that have all those kind great. of crazy ideas, but um, but we do. We you know we have the lakes, and we're setting it up for the weddings out in the middle of the lake, and then they'll walk over a glass bridge over the lakes, and then um, the the wedding you, party. Go now, ahead. Is there is there is there going to be a yacht in the in one of those lakes? Well, yeah, we have a big boat, and that that was <laughs> that was, that was <laughs> you just had to bring that up, didn't you? <laughs> uh, yeah, that was uh. That was an idea I got from that movie Secondhand Lions. That's all. So, <laughs> you know, after watching the Suez Canal this week, I'm not sure if I'll do that or not. That's <laughs> true. But you know, it's great for a good photo photo area. Um, you know, well, I, I think, call, yeah. I, I, everything is like I watch certain places, and you know, they they're known for their. Everybody stands in front of the wine bottle, giant wine bottle, and takes a picture. It's like. That'd be good for that boat, you know. Uh, that's more than a boat, though. That seems like kind of like a yacht. It is but, like a yacht. <laughs> yeah. So it'd fill the whole lake. It wouldn't go too far, but it would be a great Photoshop. But I'm not sure if that would ruin the wedding party area. <laughs> well, that's but, true, yeah. Uh, you have to balance that. But some people might love it, you know. <laughs> uh, some will, some won't, you know. So the uh, – well, I mean, I'm making a bunch of hearts right now out of steel, and uh, they're going to go up the driveway so that there'll be these big hearts. And I, I didn't mention that. Remember the, you know, the the actual company is Tranquility Vineyards and Winery. Okay. And, yeah. How did how did Tranquil Heart come to be? Well, <laughs> okay. You got to remember the house <laughs> was known as the haunted house of the insane asylum for fifty <laughs> to seventy years. Yeah. There, there was even, you know, websites dedicated to it. And when I first took it over, it was an absolute shell. I mean, 92 windows in the house and only one window was still there. Every door was kicked in, no plumbing, no electricity. 
all the copper had been stolen. It was just an eight fires. And, and, uh, so. You, you really never know to look at it now, honestly. N- yeah, I, yeah, I know. A lot of work. But, I don't think I told you this part, but, uh, what, what do we call that? Somebody staged a, a murder in the bathroom. Staged it? Yeah. It was, uh, the, the place had kids coming to it from as far as San Luis Obispo, Santee, all through MySpace, which was like Facebook type of thing. Because I, oh. I, I'd catch yeah. them and put them on the ground with a shotgun and all that kind of craziness when I first started it. Before I put walls around the whole property. I mean, I showed you the walls too, right? Yeah, yeah, the military yeah. bunker style. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> with thorns on top. So, yeah. <laughs> so, but I had to do that because you know I, I put a, at least a hundred groups of kids on the ground every wow. night. They just came and they just kept breaking the. Even when I was fixing the place up, my neighbors would call me and go, "Hey, I hear glass breaking up at your place," and I'd drive up there and they'd be down in the basement with their flashlights and, and you know. There was no electricity oh, yeah. yet, and it was just they were all there for the haunted house or the bloody bathroom. And uh, uh. and the bloody bathroom, the guy thought he would scare the people away from coming. It was one of the neighbors who did it because he got tired of every night, people being up there all times of the hour, and he, he staged this murder up there thinking it would scare him away. Well, it didn't. It did the opposite. Right. It, it just <laughs> made him come in more droves. So I, I, when I first got the place, I thought I'd maybe use that and say, okay, I was going to name the place the Haunted Hilltop Manor or the Haunted Hilltop <laughs> Vineyards. That's what it was known as. I'm sorry. It was, it was, when I bought it, it was known as the Haunted Hilltop Manor. And then yeah. I said, I'm going to make it the Haunted Hilltop Vineyards. And then I'm going to do a <laughs> wine, a really dark wine, like Tarolago in a really dark bottle with a, with a white wax and silver, you know, dripping down, or no, silver and black with red dripping down the sides of it or something called the bloody bathroom, you know. And then yeah. they went, no, nah, man, I want to get rid of that image. That's not what I want. And and then I found the original paperwork from the original, I'm not sure which I did first. I think I just changed it to tr- Tranquility Vineyards and Winery. And then it was funny because I found the original contract from 1910 from the Hemet Land Company to the people who bought it, which were from Boston, Massachusetts, and they built this home on it, which was huge. I mean, compared to any other, you know, house yeah, in the Hemet, Hemet Valley. Right. And it had its own telegraph room in the house and everything, you know. <laughs> and uh, it said, the contract said, I remember when, when I first read it, in the year of our Lord... 1910, for the sum of one gold coin, the Richies purchase from this point to this point, you know, which was, you know, a huge area. And they used the name Tranquility in that. And I went, wow, that's funny. That's what I named it, Tranquility. And then when we were planning that, remember I told you we were planning the, um, the rose and getting it all in and it, it was a rush, yeah. rush job to get it all done because the vines right. were going to turn off the freezers. And, and yeah. uh, Liz and I were fighting nonstop. 
a lot of stress, a lot of fighting, and it was hot, June, <laughs> you know, yeah. that doesn't help when the, with the heat, and we're trying to decide on what we're doing, and all of a sudden she goes, do you see that? And I'm like, what now? <laughs> you know, what are you talking about? She goes, no, 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 this is a good thing, really, look at it. And she goes, you don't see it? And I'm like, no, I don't know what you're talking about. She goes, spin the paper. And all of a sudden I went, wow, that's a heart. The property is actually the shape of a heart. So we went from Tranquility Vineyards and Winery to Tranquil Heart. We just had to put heart in there, and we just shortened Tranquility, and voila, that's been the marketing name ever since is Tranquil Heart. I love that. And is it uh, it haunted, and and, and was it in the same asylum? No, it's it's the way the house was designed. It's on a hill. It gets wind every single day. Every single night, and because all the doors were broken, well, first off, when I bought the place, there was hundreds of pigeons in the attic, and in that remember the courtyard, uh-huh. all they had nest all the way around that courtyard, tons and tons of them, and then inside, uh, yeah. they owned the house, the pigeons. <laughs> so people heard that. Then you'd have stuff down in the basement, rats or whatever. You know, if it's in right, there for right. ten years, eight fires. You know, you can just imagine. And uh and all the doors were kicked in so and the windows were broken, so if the wind blew, any of the doors yeah. that were still attached, if it the south basement door would slam the upstairs kitchen door. And people's <laughs> minds and imaginations just made up stuff, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so uh what? so definitely it- it's got the most quiet, tranquil vibe of any place I've ever been. You did only there's only one thing in that house that I hear, and that's an earthquake coming. Oh. When yeah. an earthquake comes, I can hear it before it gets there for about ten seconds, fifteen seconds, and then I pause. I'm like, oh, no way, that sounds like a oh, it is, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, and and since you brought it up, I you mentioned like the walls are three feet thick, reinforced with steel. And you told the story. The the irony is that the the woman who had the house built, the lady from Boston, had was coming from Boston, was terrified of earthquakes, so she built this super indestructible house. But then, ironically, she built it on one of the worst faults in California, right? Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so if you go back to it, if you're a history buff, you just got to think about it. What happened in 1906? And you're like, right, right. Mm. San Francisco earthquake. Well, how bad was that? I mean, that was about as bad as you can get. The city burnt down. And how did they get their news? Well, they got their news by telegraph, newspaper, or imagination. There was no TV, no Internet, none of that stuff. So in your imagination always makes things worse than reality usually, but it was was a pretty bad one. Um, So they're moving from Boston to California. Because the people that developed our little town, which was Mayberry and Whittier, they built a dam up in the mountains, and then they subdivided the whole valley with a flume system, and then they advertised back east, come to California, live the California lifestyle. Subdivided, already ready for agriculture. All you got to do is move here, build. Water's there. Right. And, and they built Lake Hemet. Right. Well... They bought a beautiful piece of land, as far as you can see in almost every direction, and it's up on a hill. And it does. It has a 360 view, and and I swear, when you walk out the front door now, which used to be the back door, um, 
because the horse and buggy came through, and that was a port where they just stepped right out of the house, right into the horse and buggy, and then took off. Now that's the front entrance with, you know, steps and concretes and a ramp and all that stuff. But when you walk out there, you're looking at Mount San Jacinto and the whole mountain. And this year it was, you know, covered with snow. And we went out and we went, wow, this is probably where that saying, him and his heaven, came from, right here. <laughs> right here. Him and his heaven. I've never heard that saying. <laughs> oh, yeah. That used, to be the, that used to be the selling point, him and his heaven. So, and it's like, I wonder, you know, of course, it's kind of hard to tell so, where that really came from, but I, you know, that's what we think. So, so um, they, they picked, so they picked a beautiful spot, but then it's the, there's a fault line, right? Yeah. Well, that carriage house you're talking about, that was going to be the tasting room. Yeah. I wanted, to, I wanted to put a veranda around it and it, <laughs> the, the, just not not a huge one, maybe enough to fit one or two tables wide on it, and maybe hold thirty or forty people more. Right off the tasting room, <clears throat> and they they having me put these giant pillars on it, and I'm like, I, I'm not trying to build a skyscraper. I just want a little decking around. And they're like, Ah, oh, that's what it's going to take, because you're on an earthquake fault. And I'm like, I'm not on the San Andreas. And they're like, Nope. That's nothing compared to the one you're on. <laughs> Yours is a lot worse than that. And I'm like, what do you, what do you mean? And they're like, yeah, you know, San Andreas is the tectonic, and you're on, you know, they explained it to me, which I, I'm not a geologist, but uh, apparently it's a it's a nasty one. And that, that hillside that I'm on has been pushed up with earthquakes over the last million years. So, right. and you can just see it once you look at it. It's like, oh, there's a row of hills all the way right here. That's that is called the Park Hill earthquake fault. Wow. So, um, you know, but you know, they owned a horse and buggy or a buggy company that built it for horse and buggies back in the nineteen early 1900s. So they owned a steel company. So when they built the house, they built it on site. I mean, from. Everything that I've read, like they brought redwood trees down from Northern California and cut them on site to make their 2x12s, yeah. and they're true 2x12s. So I've been up in the attic, and the wood looks like it's brand new. It's it's, it's incredible. Wow. Uh, the attic's really kind of cool. It's four foot tall. You can almost stand up <laughs> in the attic. You know, it's like a third story. <laughs> but uh still looks brand new. And But, you know, they didn't. there was no hardware store. Everything that you take, you know, there's tons of bird's eye maple in this house, and and when you took it all off, of course, a lot of it was ripped off the walls when I bought the place. But on the back of it, it's signed by the person that did the work and the date that they put it on. Wow! Every everything in that house is that way. It's really kind of cool. That is cool. And, and you then, said it's uh, it's currently still is an insane asylum. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, supposedly I think there's some crazy man that lives there. That would be me. <laughs> so yeah, I got my own personal insane asylum. <laughs> um, well, yeah, over the cuckoo's nest. <laughs> well, it is. I mean, you know, all all this. Uh, it is a beautiful spot, and I, I we could we could probably end with that. I think it's we've whetted people's appetites. I I hope just to see this there's a little hidden gem uh waiting for them out there in Hemet. Um I think it's 
<laughs> it's super well, cool to hear about. And you should I don't know how long you have story. here to do this, but <laughs> it, it is about the wines besides all the rest. And, and yeah. the wines are quality because of biodynamic. I like to say beyond, orga- beyond organic. Yeah. Biodynamic. Um, you know, the first couple of years, I only used enzymes, bacteria, and fungus to promote growth. I've never put nitrogen on it. Very rarely do I put majors. No NPK. I use all minors. Mm. Um, I, I do use a system called Ampelos, which is out of Switzerland. Oh, yeah. And um, and then I also follow Graham Sait's teachings out of New Zealand. And it's yeah. all about the surety and the quality and just no, you know, no, no chemicals, chemical-free. And uh, no Roundup ever. So that's, yeah. that's the biggest key. Well, and, and, it, and it makes great wine. Too. So that's yeah, the bottom line. And yeah. I think, you know, not knowing anything sort of is an asset because you, you ended up planting some less familiar things that are, are, are interesting. Like people can get Cab and Chardonnay anywhere, but, you know, there aren't that many places where you can get Alianico and Fiano and, and uh, Teraldigo um, and, and in the other ones as well. So it's, it's I think it, that worked out for you. How much longer um, do you have on this thing, or do you have a certain time frame you have to stop? Well, uh, I, I mean, go ahead if you have something you want to say. I mean, this, I, just, I think we – we just hit an hour, so we're oh, we're, okay. we're right oh, really? about where yeah, we're <laughs> okay. right about where I usually well, wrap things up. Okay, I'll, I'll make it quick. But you know, the, the key to it, because um, I don't know your audience, but I think some of them are growers, right? Yeah. Okay. So. Or at least interested in growing for sure. Okay. Um, so a, a quick story: the difference between growing traditionally versus not only organic, but I'll just call it clean. Um, was really apparent when we had a heat wave a couple of years ago where we had 80-degree weather for the whole season, all the way for like 45, 60 days. It was just absolutely perfect. And, and on my little phone on AccuWeather was this red thermometer, which I'd never seen bef- since or bef- before or since. And I was like, I wonder what that means. But it said, you know, heat. 14 days. And I thought to myself, oh, who, you know, how can they know 14 days in advance that we're going to have a heat wave? It'll, it'll change. Right. <clears throat> 10 days, it was still there. Seven days, it's there. Five days, it's there. <clears throat> Three days, it's still there. And I'm starting to go, that possible? We're still 80 degrees. It's perfect weather. Two days before, I say, well, just in case, let's get prepared. I said, let's spray the whole place with seaweed. And, and seaweed, I use it for drought and heat tolerance. Okay. It just protects the plants. Okay. So I tell my guy, let's get it out. And, and, the, and another big key that I have, it depends on the size of your vineyard, but I have an electrostatic sprayer. It's like powder coating for metal, but it's the same way for anything you're applying to your things. It gets into every nook and cranny of the grape, in the leaves and the stem everywhere you don't even you know it's electrified and it's just like powder coating so yeah. it, it was it was a big expense but it saved me lots of money and and, and it's a part of the key to this story so 
I tell him, go get the seaweed and let's start applying it because it'll take us two days to apply everything. The guy comes back about a half hour ago. We don't have any seaweed left. <laughs> and I'm like, what? <laughs> so I call up, you know, local supplier and say, hey, I need this and that. And they're like, well, we can get it to you in about a month. <laughs> I'm like, no. They're like, well, we can, you know, we got some Acadian. I don't know Acadian. Oh, it's great. Yeah, thanks. I don't, you know, I'm just not going to take that as an, is it organic? Yes. Okay. Give me the manufacturer rep's name. <laughs> so I call her. Holly Little's her name. And uh, <clears throat> I start talking to her. She tells me her whole story. I feel real comfortable after talking to her. She's been a farmer her whole life up in Montana or Wyoming area, I forget which. But And then she left to work for this company because she really liked the product. And I said, okay. So I trusted her. And I sprayed my whole place. All of a sudden, that day comes, and it jumps from 80 degrees to 104. The next day is 108, then 112, then 116, 16, 16, then 12, 8, 4. You know, literally a week of over 100 to 100, almost to 120. Wow. Two days was so hot on Saturday and Sunday, I didn't even go outside. I just stayed inside in the air conditioner. I have three foot thick walls. The house stays cool. I watch TV, did laundry, you know, whatever it took. Right. I'm like, I go out at night. Nope, it's too hot. I'll just stay here. (laughs) Monday morning, my guy calls me up, goes, Bill, you better get down here. I said, why? He goes, we got problems with the grapes. I said, the plant or the fruit? He goes, yes. (laughs) So I drive down there and I'm like, oh. And I see these plants that are, I didn't know what they were. And then the fruit looked like hard BBs, like you'd put in a rifle and shoot rabbits with, you know. Wow. And they weren't even dried or like raisins. They were little round hard BBs. And I'm like, oh, my God, you know. And I'm like, what have I done? And uh, I'm thinking, and I was watering every night, and I put the seaweed on. And then the second day I watered, and I put seaweed in the water, and then the third day I watered, and I even put some more food in, thinking, okay, it needs a little food. And, you know, and then day four and five was the weekend, and I come out, and I'm thinking, oh, what do I do? So I call that sales rep, and I, I'm in a, in a panic mode asking her, and she's like, okay, just calm down. Tell me what, the, you know, what were your rates? What was your temperature? What was your, you know, this and that? And she goes, if you can't reach me right away, I'm in Indonesia on my honeymoon. <laughs> and I'm like, what? And you answered the phone? <laughs> and I went, I, I, I can't bug this woman on her honeymoon. <laughs> so I just kind of didn't didn't even call her back. And, and a couple of days went by, and my winemaker calls and goes, so, Bill, how's your, how's your grapes? And I'm like, oh, Renato, I ruined just a perfect crop. I, I have at least 5% loss. And he goes, really? That's great. And I go, what do you mean? And he goes, we have 70% loss. Whoa. I said, at your, at your vineyard? No, no. I, I said, what variety? And he goes, all of them. I said, at your vineyard? He goes, no, Temecula, the whole valley. Wow. And I'm like, uh, you know what? I'll be right back. I gotta go. And I hung up my phone and I ran up to the house and I got the book from UC Davis and I start flipping through it and I look for heat stress and I'm like, oh, that's it. That's exactly what the plant looks like. 
you know. Wow. And then I went and I said, okay, just just go through and cut off anything bad you see. Just get it off the plant. And when we were done, we only had like three or four 15-gallon buckets of dried fruit. No big deal. So I reassessed mine to 2%. They ended up reassessing theirs to 50%. But it really didn't matter until September and harvest when I brought my fruit in. And my fruit was just perfect like it is every year. Wow. And then we compared it to everybody else's that was bringing fruit in to be processed. And it was night and day. Wow. And I went. Like, and then all of a sudden I'm sitting there and all of a sudden here comes another winemaker and another winemaker. And another. everybody starts calling everybody to come look at our fruit versus everybody else's fruit. And they're like, how the hell did you do that? And I'm like, uh, what do you mean? And they're like, uh, everybody's fruit's ruined and yours is perfect. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, so? <laughs> and they're like, well, we want to know why. And I'm like, well, it's a combination of about seven things, actually. It was watering every night, which I can do because on gravity feed, one valve, um, inexpensive water compared to what they have. I sprayed with seaweed, uh, electrostatic sprayer. And one of the other big things is I'm already in hell compared to them. I'm already hot. So they went from 75 to 110, uh, I mean 116, and I went from 85 to 116. My plants are already kind of acclimated. But it wasn't until the next year when a different scenario happened, which was rain one week before harvest. And the same thing happened. Everybody got bunch rot. I got the same rain, but I didn't get any bunch rot. Now, hmm. and that all comes back to being biodynamic. And the things that you do early in the year makes a difference at the end of the year in your winemaking process. And then you don't have to add all the chemicals when you're making the wine either. And you don't have to yeah. add sulfites if you don't have bacteria and disease. Right. So that's what I guess I was trying to say. That's the key. Got it. Yeah, that's good. That's I, that's a great way, a great story to finish on. I love that. How uh, how can people how how do, where do we find out about the winery? What's the website? Oh well, you mean to get the product? Yeah, how, buy the wine, just learn more. Oh well, for, for my wine and the winery is Triple uh, W Tranquil Heart Vineyards and Winery. That's 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 right. And, and okay. I'm also on Facebook under Tranquil Heart Vineyards and Winery. Hey. And I think Instagram's <laughs> the same thing. Every, all three are the same. Um, as far as the products and all that kind of stuff, I'm trying to become the exclusive distributor for the United States for these companies. So um, they are registered now to sell products. For winemaking purposes and vineyards, um, we did a trial for it, and I'm trying to hook it up so that I can take it and resell it to other people. So as Great. soon as that happens, I'll know, and maybe we can put the word out. Fantastic. Well, Bill, thanks so much. This has been a lot of fun, and, I, you know, I think what I was trying to do is just let people know there's a lot more stories that you have to tell and a lot more for them to discover by visiting. Um, and I think you did a good job of, of, of doing that. So thank you so much. It's no, really no fun to talk. And I love, love what you're doing. I'm glad that you're bringing this kind of agriculture into 
inland Southern California. It's definitely well a game changer. And I have to say this, it's not just vineyards and wineries. It is all our food. And right. changes have to be made. Um, boy, he's <laughs> getting me started. But <laughs> Me uh, too. I'm with you. <laughs> if we don't have that, the food that we eat into our body makes a difference in our health, personally. Um, yeah. I wasn't a believer in it before, but I am now. I've seen it. And... Um, you know, I grow all my own vegetables at home instead of buying them, and makes a huge difference when you know those parties I was telling you about we have and stuff. It all yeah. comes out of my garden. I I only feed people the good stuff. That's all there is to it. And people yeah. should try to grow their own. And don't use the chemicals, man. <laughs> That's all I can tell you. <laughs> don't, don't. I love it. You know. It all started that. after World War II when they started making chemicals and fertilizers out of petroleum. And, yes, it increased the yields short-term, but long-term, it's killing our soil. And humus and humic acid is the key to all of our futures. So. I love that. I'll stop preaching. Sorry. <laughs> 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 All right, cool. Well, All thanks. Right, man. We'll, we'll talk soon. Well, Adam, thanks for having me. Thanks for calling, and uh, hope you enjoyed the wine the other day. I did. I definitely did. I, I, I want more. <laughs> All right. Talk to you soon, man. Talk to you soon. Thanks again for listening. The Organic Wine Podcast is made possible by an incredibly miserly grant by Centralis Wine. Barely anything. And really, after taxes, we owe money. In fact, Centralis only gives any money to the Organic Wine Podcast if they sell any of their organic, biodynamic, and just plain delicious wines. Centralis actually pays me in wine. Luckily for them, I'm a wino. So please, for the sake of this podcast and my unhealthy drinking habit, and I use the word habit euphemistically, please go buy some Centralis wine at centraliswine.com. Isn't that nice how the website is the name of the winery? That's C-E-N-T-R-A-L-A-S wine.com. Thanks. Their wine actually is really good, too. It's not just a selfish request, I swear. P.S. Centralis is my winery. Thanks for listening.